Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside no one, because it's just me today. Connor is pre-engaged. He was actually at the Wichita State game that we'll be talking about earlier. So this is the first time that I will be doing a solo episode. I still have, I believe, two more to catch up to Connor if that ever happens. But for this week's weekly recap, we have a lot of recruiting news to go over as well as several Catskitball games to go over, both men and women's. Some good, some very, very, very bad. But let's just dive straight into the football recruiting news Starting off with the first new commit of the previous week, and that is defensive lineman from Austin P. He's a transfer from the FCS, and that is Travis Bates. Travis Bates is a 6'3", 250-pound defensive lineman, and if there's one word that I could use to describe him, it's almost certainly power, because he's a perfect fit for the K-State 3-3-5 as it stands right now, where we've sort of been playing... A lot of people out of position in the 3-3-5 ever since it's been implemented. When people like uh, Nate Matlick play the 3-3-5 defensive end, and people like Khalid Duke, who moved from Sam Linebacker to 3-3-5 defensive end. And what you really want for those 3-3-5 ends is you're really looking for more of a traditional 3 technique that you'd see in a a normal uh, 4-3 front. So... You're looking for bigger-bodied guys, not necessarily true edge rushers, which is kind of what Kula Duke and Nate Matlick were. Don't get me wrong, they could both make it work, Kula Duke a little bit more, and Nate Matlick more with finesse than anything else, but Travis Bates is a better scheme fit than both of them, mostly because of his size. His on-three profile has him listed at 6'3", 250. I believe his Austin P page had him listed at 6'3", 275. So I imagine whenever Coach True gets the opportunity to work with him, it'll be a nice little buildup of confidence, a nice little buildup of strength there. And he's already a plenty strong player. If you look at his film up against Tennessee, he was one of the few bright spots up against the Tennessee team. And he was holding his own against some really big linemen that Tennessee has. And he was even holding his own when they were pulling with the the worst run play call in history, also known as GT Counter. So what I see with Travis Bates is I know a lot of people are going to be are going to question him because, you know, he's an FCS defensive lineman, but I believe he was very he was very highly rated in the in on 3 at least in terms of he was very well thought of as a transfer defensive lineman. And I can see that because a lot of his game is, you know, he's strong enough to eat multiple blocks and be that true three tech or four tech defensive end that the three, three, five really necessitates. So I really like the pickup of Travis Bates. If I had to guess, he'd probably be a consistent two, three, four pressure guy a game, which is pretty much what you can expect. And you think of that as a really, really good three, three, five end. And the only concern that I really have with his game is if he's not able to maybe put on another 10 pounds, maybe become 290 into the 300s range. But if that's sacrificing a little bit of his mobility, I I don't think it's worth it. Because Travis Bates, as it stands right now, I think is going to step in, be a day one impact player. And I think it's going to really help the Cats 
especially considering how they've played this 3-3-5 in the past years, playing guys that are really not necessarily scheme fits for it. I'd say the only person that was a scheme fit on the defensive line that got consistent snaps this last year was Uso Sayamalo and Javon Banks. Though, even Javon Banks, you could argue, should have been playing defensive end, but I thought he was fine in his role as a pass rush specialist defensive nose tackle. But that's neither here nor there. So Travis Bates is the first commit. And then the second one is another transfer. This one, a defensive back from Ball State, and that is Jordan Riley. And this is another example of me saying, go watch a a lesser school, I suppose, as to say, go play against an SEC school. Go watch the film of Jordan Riley going up against Georgia this last year. And he actually had him, so I believe PFF graded it as his best game on the year. Jordan Riley Scott, I think, is really, or as he's listed as Riley Scott, his recruiting or his Twitter is just Jordan Riley. But this is another legitimate win for a guy who was pretty decently thought of coming out of the portal. He was a three-star, according to the On3 composite. But what I really like about Jordan Riley is I think he's a bit more versatile than people might be giving him credit for. And I think that's sort of what we needed, especially after Kobe Savage left and is now at Oregon, or at least is committed to Oregon. I think that we were missing a more versatile safety who could play one or two spots. We've been trying to do that more with VJ Payne, but he's been more of a true strong safety, and that's where he's excelled. That's where he's best at. I, If I had to pick one place where I think he would excel most, I'd say it's probably free safety, which means he's put, and I mean true free safety, not the one that's listed on the depth chart where Marquis Siegel is listed as playing free safety when really he was he was the jack for most of the year because the jack safety is the one you want screaming downhill. The, the, the way to think of the jack safety is just kind of think of him as a, as, as a special teams player where his job is to just kind of come downhill and hit someone. <laughs> I think that's the best way to describe the, the jack safety. Though you could also kind of think of them as the jack of all trades, if you'll pardon the pun. But I think Jordan Riley sort of fits into that free safety role a bit more. He's a solid communicator on the back end. He has pretty solid range as a free safety. But again, I think he's versatile enough to where he could step in just about anywhere. And with Kobe Savage leaving, this just gives us a proven commodity in the safety room, which is what we were really lacking. Because, of course, you have Marquis Siegel, who's a known commodity and will be coming back next year. You have VJ Payne. You know VJ, but you don't really have a known... You don't know who the free safety was necessarily going to be in that lineup. I had guessed, Connor and I had guessed, that it was going to be Daniel Cobbs, who we actually comped as a faster Kobe Savage, just by virtue of how he plays, his range and ability to communicate. But he also hadn't gotten any Power 5 snaps or snaps against Power 5 competition. Jordan Riley has, so he has a little bit more experience coming into that role. So I would expect the free safety role to sort of be a toss-up between Jordan Riley, Daniel Cobbs, maybe Kobe McAllister. Uh, Wesley Fair is probably more of a jack or strong safety. But Jordan Riley is a really big pickup for a defensive backfield that I already thought was going to be pretty solid but just got even better with an experienced ad. 
arguably the biggest one and well definitely the biggest if you're going purely off of weight is a juco transfer the first of two and that is malcolm alcorn crowder or as connor and i have taken to calling him the mac truck <laughs> because he's a 6'6 295 pound defensive lineman from butler community college right here in kansas rated as a 90.64 industry rated uh, three star by on three and this is a legitimate recruiting win over Miami and Florida, and I believe he visited Syracuse as well. But the number one thing that I think of about Alcorn Crowder is another example of I think he's going to be a perfect three tech in the three three five. And the first thing that popped out to me on his game, whereas Travis Bates was more of a guy who held his ground and would sort of push back, Malcolm Alcorn Crowder has one of the deadliest rip moves as a pass rusher that I've I've seen from someone who's not already in the NFL. It's that good. Like, he will legitimately step in and probably be the most consistent defensive lineman of the group. And I don't say that, I don't say that lightly, because I think Uso is, you know, he's a nose tackle, so he's not going to get credit for it. But I think Uso is remarkably consistent as a player. And I just think that Malcolm Alcorn Crowder has the opportunity to be different in that role. I think he has a legitimate shot to be like a three or four pressure guy a game. And you can almost take that to the bank on a down to down basis. He's going to be a factor just because he's so quick off the ball. He's so powerful and he's able to leverage that by with a rip move that he can just get in the backfield. That's where he lives most of the time. And honestly, this is I struggle to come up with superlatives for it because I'm not normally a, a superlatives guy unless I'm intentionally being a jerk about something. But Malcolm Alcorn Crowder might well be the best instant impact guy that we get, be it high school, JUCO, or transfer. That's how good the Mack truck is. And I'm really excited to watch him play in a Cats uniform, especially considering how big a recruiting win that it was for the Cats. But then we got the last one to hop on board, and that would be Dante Strap Thomas, who is listed as a corner. I fully expect him to play safety. He is a transfer from a JUCO down in Mississippi. You look at his offer sheet, and you're just kind of, eh, well, he had some, you know, Georgia Southern, Charlotte, Akron, Toledo, South Alabama, and you're like, eh, he's in the mid on three, three star. No. <laughs> if there is one way to describe Dante Thomas, it is hitter or killer. Go look up his highlight tape, and his first highlight is him banishing someone to the shadow realm never to return again. This man is the definition of an enforcer safety, where he's just going to hit someone until they don't want to get hit anymore and force a lot of pass breakups that way. That reason to me makes me think he's going to be more of a strong safety or a jack safety because he is really good coming downhill. But that's not all that is. That's not all that's in his game. He also has a little bit of range, though he's not. He'd probably step in, be in the middle of the pack for the current K-State safeties in terms of coverage range. But he'd also step in to be the immediate best hitter. So he's probably not going to get an insane amount of picks, but he's going to make people hurt and drop passes. But 
I also think that he, I don't think he's the odd man out, but I do think he sort of needs a year to marinate in the scheme. I think that's probably what's going to happen. I'd say he's a redshirt candidate unless he shows up and absolutely balls out at camp. But yeah, Dante Thomas, although it may seem like I have the least to say about him in particular, I don't want to make it sound like I'm not excited for him to be here because it took me watching maybe 15 seconds of his highlight tape to say, oh, wait, no, this dude can play. Don't let his offer sheet fool you. This is a legitimately solid recruit coming out of JUCO who can step in, play jack safety, play strong safety, though he probably does need a year to marinate in the system. That's not all in terms of recruiting news, however, because National Signing Day happened and no big surprises happened either way, although some people thought it would get a little interesting with people like Blake Barnett. But no, everyone that was expected to sign did, and there's no really big shocks there. Uh, Malcolm Alcorn Crowder, if you look at the on three industry rankings, is the highest recruit followed by Gus Hawkins, Trey Davis, Caden Massey, Jacques Bradley Demps, and then so on and so forth. We do our recruiting rankings towards the towards the back end of the year or, or at the beginning of the new year in the middle of June when everyone is signed. But this is going to be a really, really fun class to grade out, especially when you get players like a Caden Massey who should not move the way he does at his size. It just should not be allowed to happen. And you got people like Gus Hawkins, even Ryan Howard, John Price, Blake Barnett. There's a lot of guys here with insanely high ceilings, which last year was not was no stranger to that as well with people like Avery Johnson, Joe Jackson, Trey Spivey, people like that. So just look forward to that recruiting episode in, you know, six, seven months. Because, <laughs> you know, that's... You definitely want to be looking six, seven months down the line for a random podcast episode. But yeah, no real big surprises. All of the recruits signed. K-State will finish, at least as it stands right now, with the 43rd best recruiting class in the country and the 5th best in the Big 12, at least if you're listening to On3, which is what Connor and I both use. Uh, I know that there's some angst among certain fan bases who thinks that Uh, On three is overrating some of K-State recruits. I think they're just being salty. But yeah, that's pretty much all in terms of K-State football recruiting news. And before we get on to the Catskipball news, here is a quick word from today's sponsor. And welcome back to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Ace Edwards here with the weekly recap. Connor, once again, is busy out living his life, living his best life. So, just me. And here we are to get into the men's catsketball news. Starting with the game that no one really wants to remember and no one really wants to talk about. It is, the, of course, the Nebraska game in Bramlage Coliseum where Nebraska ended up winning 62-46, to and this was a horrid, putrid, very bad, no-good game for several reasons. And if you will indulge me for a moment before I read the stat line and just sort of let me rant for a minute, this is the first time in the Jerome Tang era where I have had to turn off a game before it ended, 
because otherwise I would have thrown the remote at the television, breaking the television, and I just was not ready to do that. This was an abysmal performance, probably the worst of the Jerome Tang era, and it comes at a very unfortunate time where a lot of attendance had been asked for by the staff, and all credit to them, they got the attendance that they asked for. Over 10,000 people attended this game. The crowd early on was very, very enthralled, was very involved, but then the second half happened, and to say that the second half is the worst that a Jerome Tang-led basketball team, at least at K-State, has played is not an exaggeration. They put up a total of 12 points, and the entire time they just looked lost, they looked apathetic, and neither of those are things that people necessarily, that, that neither of those things inspire confidence in someone who's a fan of these teams. I And I, I don't enjoy being negative about these teams, but it, it's worth saying that this was an atrocious performance by the Cats, and it's an inexcusable performance for a team that should be looking forward, but even in their wins has looked somewhat unconvincing. But that's that's enough of that. We'll go ahead and just dive straight into the stats. Cam Carter played 37 minutes, 4 of 17 from the field, 1 of 8 from 3. 3 of 4 in his free throws, 2 rebounds, 2 fouls, 2 assists, 2 turnovers, 12 points. Stop the stat sheet. Tyler Perry, 36 minutes, 3 of 11 from the field, 3 of 10 from 3. 2 of 2 on his free throws, 2 rebounds, 3 fouls, 6 assists, 2 turnovers, 11 points. Stuff the stat sheet. Arthur Kaluma, 37 minutes, 2 of 10 from the field, 0 of 5 from 3. 4 of 7 from the free throw line, 5 rebounds, 1 foul, 3 turnovers, 8 total points. David Gasson, 30 minutes, 2 of 6 from the field, 0 of 2 from 3. I never want to see David Gasson take another 3 in my life. 0-2 from the free throw line because, of course, 6 rebounds, 3 fouls, 1 turnover, 4 total points. And then, oddly, Will McNair with a out-of-character bad game, at least in terms of scoring. 21 minutes, 0-5 from the field, 0-1 from 3, 6 rebounds, 1 foul, 1 assist, 1 turnover, 0 points. So, the starting 5, no one had a particularly good game. You... Have Cam going 1 of 8 from 3, Tyler Perry going 3 of 10, which is barely passable, especially as someone who's prided himself as one of the best shooters in the country and has been called that by his head coach. You just can't have those shooting performances from your top two guys in Cam Carter and Tyler Perry, and you especially can't have it when Arthur Kaluma is only going to shoot 20% from the field and miss all five of his three-point attempts. I don't want to dwell on it, but, you know, it was atrocious. We finished the game, I believe, missing our last 15 three-point attempts. We went 0 of 12 in the second half and 4 of 9 from the free throw line in the second half. It's it's not acceptable. But Buddy Rich, 17 minutes, 3 of 4 from the field, 1 of 2 on his free throw attempts, 9 boards, 1 foul, 7 total points. I would like to see more of Michaela Rich just because I think that he's a, a better fit than some of the other people that that we're putting out there but Dede Ames 17 minutes as well 2 of 5 from the field 0 of 2 from 3 0 of 1 in his free throw attempts 1 rebound 1 assist 3 turnovers 4 total points then RJ Jones 5 minutes missed both of his 3 point attempts and had assists but no points 
I just kind of want to flush this game and never think about it again. So no one had a good performance. And anyone who's trying to say that there's any positives to take from this game is lying to you and lying directly to your face. And I think it's best to just sort of forget that this game ever happened. Unless you're in torturing yourself, which I personally am not. So moving on to the next game, and that is up against the Wichita State Shockers in the T-Mobile Center or the Sprint Center as it should be properly known as. And this game was, the second half was better, but the first half was unconvincing, I think is the best way to put it. It wasn't an atrocious first half, but it's not one that you're really looking forward to, and it's not one that you really wanted. There were a lot of times where K-State was overpassing and just not putting themselves in a good situation in order to score points, and really we kind of got carried by the fact that Wichita State was uncharacteristically foul-heavy in this game, so we got a lot of free-throw attempts, but the first half of this game was really, really uninspiring, and I, it was really frustrating to watch, especially coming off of the performance up against Nebraska where everyone and their mother was upset with the performance. So I really wanted us and expected us to come out firing in that first that first bit of the game, that first half, and we just didn't. And I think that that sort of, if it happened in reverse and this was the second half, I think more people would be leaving with a really sour taste in their mouth. The second half was considerably better, although we still had a tendency to overpass. We just kind of you know, worked our way out of it and ended up winning 69 to 60. So a very nice score. But in terms of stat lines, in terms of, let's go, but just let's sort by minutes here. Got David, well, let's not sort by minutes. Let's just go in order of numbers, shall we? David Gasson, 13 points, 5 of 8 from the field, 3 of 5 from his free throws. I'm really happy that he shouldn't shoot, you know, sub 20 on his free throws. He made three of them which is really impressive. Nine rebounds, so he was one short of a double-double with points and rebounds. No assists, two fouls, three blocks, and 34 minutes played. Tyler Perry played 33 minutes, had 17 points, four of 13 from the field, three of 11 from three, made all six of his free throw attempts, had three boards, five assists, two fouls, four turnovers, and four steals. Cam Carter had 15 points in 36 minutes. 3 of 9 from the field, 1 of 4 from 3, 8 of 9 on his free throw attempts, 5 total rebounds, 5 assists, 2 fouls, and 6 turnovers to 1 steal. So the turnovers for Cam were brutal tonight, including a couple times on fast breaks where he has been, he's improved from last year massively because bunnies on fast breaks last year was sort of Cam Carter's kryptonite, if you'll pardon the alliteration. But yeah, he's gotten better at it, but this game, it kind of, you kind of could see that the cracks in the armor there. But then Will McNair had seven points in 24 minutes, three of six from the field, one of one on his free throw attempts, seven total boards, three fouls, one turnover, one block, one steal. And then rounding out the starting lineup is Arthur Kaluma, who had 11 minute, who had 35 minutes, 11 points, three of nine from the field, two of three from three, three of four on his free throw attempts, six rebounds, one assist, three fouls, two turnovers, and two steals. So the starting five, 
you'll you'll take that production with especially David Gasson nearly getting a double-double. This was a really solid game for David Gasson, although he certainly had his David Gasson moments as Connor and I have taken to calling them, which is very similar to Duffy moments of years past for the football team. But you'll take those starting performances. You'll want Tyler Perry to shoot a little bit better from three. But I, it may be a situation similar to Gabby Gregory for the women's team where he'll just kind of have to shoot his way out of it eventually. Um, you know, you give him credit. He makes all the big shots when he needs to. But in terms of the bench production, you had Dorian Finister come in for nine minutes, 0 of 1 from the field, but did end up getting two rebounds, fouling twice, and only turning it over once in nine minutes. And then Dayday Ames had no points, 0 of 2 from the field, missed both of his free throw attempts, which is odd for him, but did get a rebound and assist, three fouls, two turnovers in 20 total minutes. And then Buddy Rich, six points, 2 of 2 from the field, 2 of 2 on his free throw attempts. Three boards, one assist, and one steal in nine minutes. So, I like I said earlier, I really want to start seeing Michaela Rich more. I'm sure if Connor were here, he would agree with me. <laughs> but I, I think Buddy Rich has shown enough to be at least put in earlier in the games, if not starting. But I, this is another game where I'm I'm happy with the performance. I'm happy we won, at least. But I can understand why people would be upset with an all right performance against a Wichita State squad that lost to an okay Mizzou team by 12 and I believe they also lost to South Dakota State earlier this year so they didn't really have any marquee wins despite being eight and three so I think a lot of people were expecting a wider margin of victory for K-State but you'll take victories as they come and you'll just move on to the next one (laughs) And speaking of, the next game for the Tang Cats is up against Chicago State next Tuesday, or not next Tuesday, but the Tuesday after next, the day after New Year's Day on January 2nd, up against Chicago State in Bramlage Coliseum. But then conference play opens up on January 6th, up against UCF in Bramlage Coliseum. Those are the next two games, so we get a little bit of a break. It's a shame that it's an all-right performance that we're coming off of to go into the break, but it's nonetheless a win, which tastes a whole lot better than a loss going into a long stretch of no-tang basketball or tang skateball. Now, moving on to the women's catskitball team, who had a very, very, very dominant stretch of three games, where the number one concern between Connor and I was if the K-State women would be able to keep their legs under them and be able to keep up with playing three games within five or six days of one another. They were more than up to the task against admittedly okay to bad competition, but nevertheless, you didn't see a lot of fall off from the teams in between each game, starting with the game up against North Florida. So it was a 79-53 Wildcat victory, and you know, well, decently attended 3,400 people in terms of stat lines. You had Ioka Lee play 23 minutes, 15 of 17 from the field, six of six on her free throws, four rebounds, two fouls, one turnover, 36 total points. So yes, this was another one of those Ioka Lee games where she simply opts to be better than everyone else. And it's hilarious to watch. It's bullying. It's absolutely bullying. Do not misunderstand me. It is 
it is horrible, horrible bullying. But it's also really, really funny. <laughs> Alongside Ioka Lee, Gabby Gregory, 22 minutes, 4 of 9 from the field, 1 of 5 from 3, 5 rebounds, 6 assists, 1 turnover, 9 total points. Briley Glenn, 22 minutes, 2 of 4 from the field, 2 of 3 from 3, 1 rebound, 1 foul, 1 assist, no turnover, 6 total points. Serena Sundell, 12 minutes, 2 of 4 from the field, 0 of 1 from 3, 1 rebound, 2 assists, 4 points. And then rounding out the starting lineup is Jalen Glenn, 27 minutes, 1 of 2 from the field, 2 rebounds, 4 assists, 1 turnover, 2 total points. So a lot of those, a lot of them you'll notice you didn't play the entire game. In fact, they played a little over half of it. The leader in minutes was Jalen Glenn, who played 27 minutes. And it's because we didn't really need to. We didn't really need to play the starters a whole bunch because the game was well in hand throughout the duration, which means that we also got to empty the bench. So excuse me while I listen <laughs> off the bench players real quick. 18 minutes for Zayana Walker, 3 of 6 from the field, 1 rebound, 1 foul, 3 turnovers, 6 total points. Gisela Sanchez, 20 minutes, 1 of 4 from the field, 2 of 2 on her free throw attempts. 5 rebounds, 2 fouls, 3 assists, 2 turnovers, 4 total points. Stuff the stat sheet. Jamia Harris, 13 points, 1 of 6 from the field, 1 of 3 from 3, 1 of 2 on her free throw attempts. 1 rebound, 1 foul, 1 assist, 2 turnovers, 4 total points. Stuff the stat sheet. Eliza Moppin, 7 minutes, 2 of 4 from the field, 1 rebound, 2 fouls, 4 total points. Heavenly Greer, 8 minutes, 1 of 2 from the field, 3 rebounds, 2 fouls, 2 total points. Amani Lester, 5 minutes, 0 of 1 from the field, 2 of 2 on her free throw attempts, 2 rebounds, 1 foul, 2 total points. And then Terrence Sides, who had 23 minutes, 0 of 3 from the field, all of which were 3 point attempts. One rebound, one foul, nine assists, only one turnover. And the nine assists happened before the one turnover. And the turnover, I believe, was a travel. Terran Sides is a special, special, special passer already as a true freshman. We made the joke on Twitter that we could schedule a tweet for the middle of any single women's basketball game saying that Terran Sides just did something stupid and ridiculously awesome while passing. Yeah, no, that, that still stands true. The only complaint that you really have for this game up against North Florida is they didn't shoot all that well from three, four of 15, so 26.7%. And, you know, that is a concern, especially against a North Florida team. But you also got to consider that we only took 15 threes, and we also shot 51% or 52% if you're rounding up from the field in total. So this wasn't a game where we necessarily needed to press the three we could just pass it in Ioka Lee and just have her cyber bully everyone on the court because she's six foot six and better than everyone else. So that's the first game that was up against North Florida. And then you had the Hundo Bomb up against Oral Roberts, 102 to 59 in favor of your Kansas State Wildcats. And this was another, as you can tell, dominant performance from the Cats against. An Oral Roberts team that is really, really good and consistent at scoring. We're able to hold them under 60, which is quite the accomplishment considering their previous record of scoring, at least in their previous games. So this is a shockingly solid, or not shockingly, but you, you wouldn't expect it to be based on the scores. Like, oh, they almost got to 60. That's like an okay defensive day. No, that's actually quite good against this Oral Roberts team, but of course we outscored them because we dropped a hundo bomb on them. 
Which, speaking of, the individual stats that led to that is Ioka Lee, who played 20 minutes, 23 minutes rather, 11 of 17 from the field, 2 of 7 from the free throw line, which is odd for her, 21 rebounds, 4 fouls, 24 total points. She joins, let me check the uh, the stat sheet here, uh, also Ioka Lee as the only player in K-State history to get 20 points and 20 rebounds, which doubly means that she's the only person to do it twice. So that's an amazing performance from Yoki, and you know it's a history-making performance, which may seem kind of mundane for Ioka Lee, which is so strange to say that a 24-21 double-double is eh, yeah, that's it's, it's an average day for her. It's obviously not average day for her, but it's also completely unsurprising. <laughs> but the second leading scorer is Gabby Gregory, who played 25 minutes, 6 of 11 from the field, 3 of 8 from 3, 1 of 2 from the free throw line, 6 boards, 3 assists, 2 turnovers, 16 total points. So she's she sort of found her shot a little bit better in this game after being somewhat spotty from behind the arch in previous games. She, she's getting better and better as the season goes on, which is kind of what Connor and I projected to happen. I think in all of these games, we just kind of told her, hey, just keep shooting the shot until you find it again, which that's kind of what you want to use non-con for, especially up against some weaker competition. But Jalen Glenn also had 24 minutes, 4 of 9 from the field, 1 of 4 from 3, 6 rebounds, 4 fouls, 4 assists, 3 turnovers, 9 total points. What's stopping her from stuffing the stat sheet is free throws. But Jalen Glenn has quietly been a really, really... She honestly has made an argument for being the third horsewoman as opposed to kind of swapping between Gabby Gregory and Serena Sundell. But Jalen Glenn has been a massive offensive surprise this year after being a known commodity on defense and her sister's been doing really well as well but before we get to her Serena Sundell 20 minutes three of six from the field one of two from three one of three from the free throw line one rebound one foul five assists two turnovers eight total points which means you guessed it she stuffed the stat sheet then Briley Glenn rounds out the starters 20 minutes, 2 of 7 from the field, 1 of 4 from 3, 2 of 2 on her free throw attempts, 2 rebounds, 2 assists, and 7 total points. And this is another game, just like all three, where we ended up emptying the bench, including Zayana Walker, who had 21 minutes, 5 of 8 from the field, 2 of 4 from 3, 2 of 2 from the free throw line, 4 rebounds, 1 assist, and 1 turnover with 14 total points. Gisela Sanchez, 15 minutes, 5 of 8 from the field, 1 of 3 from 3, 2 of 2 on her free throws, 2 rebounds, 1 foul, 1 assist, 1 turnover, 13 points, stuff the stat sheet. Amani Lester, 5 minutes, 2 of 2 from the field, 2 rebounds, 1 foul, 4 total points. Terrence Sides, 22 minutes, 1 of 5 from the field, 1 of 2 from 3, 4 rebounds, 3 fouls, 10 assists to 4 turnovers, and 3 points. Again, she's... We already, Connor and I in the preseason called Serena Sundell one of the best distributors in K-State history. Taryn Sides might already be better, <laughs> which is insane to think about as a true freshman. We get three more years after this. But after her is Jamia Harris, 10 minutes, 1 of 4 from the field, 0 of 2 from 3, 1 foul, 1 assist, 1 turnover, 2 points. Then Eliza Moppin rounds out the scoring with 7 minutes, 0 of 1 from the field, but 2 of 4 on her free throw attempts. 2 rebounds, 1 foul, 1 assist, and 2 total points. Heavenly Greer rounds out the playing squad, 8 minutes, 0 of 3 from the field, 4 rebounds, and that is all. 
This was a really solid shooting performance. We swapped about 7% of field performance for about 10% of three-point shooting, which I'll take that trade, although I you don't sneeze in the face of efficiency. And though the free throw shooting also took a dip, we only shot 54.5%. Again, if you're going to pick a, a game to have sillier mistakes, like missing a lot of free throws, you want it to be a non-con game against a squad that you pretty well had handled. The final game to cover for the women's basketball team is up against Southern. Yes, just Southern. 84-52 Wildcat victory against a generously not good Southern squad who's 1-8 in the, on the year going into this game. And... Yeah, K-State did exactly what they should have done this game. One by 32, it was never once uncomfortable. And once again, we got the opportunity to empty the bench. <laughs> but of course, the leader, who else would it be, is Ioka Lee, who played 21 minutes, 8 of 10 from the field, including 1 of 1 from 3 on what will forever be known, at least to me, as the Ioka 3, which will live on in my memory as one of my favorite moments of K-State women's basketball history just because of how funny it was and how crazy the bench went. She was 3 of 300 free throws, 5 rebounds, 1 foul, 1 assist, 20 total points. Serena Sundell, 22 minutes, 4 of 5 from the field, 1 of 1 from 3, 2 of 200 free throw attempts, 5 rebounds, 1 foul, 7 assists, 2 turnovers, 11 total points. Stuff the stat sheet. People are going to get tired of me saying that, but I've made it a bit at this point. It may not be funny to anyone but me, but here we are. Briley Glenn, 24 minutes, 4 of 5 from the field, 1 of 1 from 3, 2 rebounds, 3 assists, 9 points. Gabby Gregory, 19 minutes, 3 of 7 from the field, unfortunately missed all 4 of her 3-point attempts, so a little bit of regression after improving last game. 3 of 4 in her free throw attempts, 3 rebounds, 1 foul, 1 assist, 2 turnovers, 9 points, stuff the stat sheet. Jalen Glenn, 20 minutes, 2 of 7, 2 of 6 from the field from three, one rebound, two assists, three turnovers, six total points. So that's your starting five. So you get good production from pretty much all of them. None of them ended up not scoring. The lowest amount was six, and that's from your best defensive player and Jalen Glenn. So whenever they're not playing more than 24 minutes at most, you, you take those performances when they're only playing a little over half the game. But going into the bench players is number 20, or number 11, playing 22 minutes, rather. Check that. 4 of 8 from the field, Terran sides. 2 of 4 from 3, 7 rebounds, 3 fouls, 4 assists, 3 turnovers, 10 points. I'm not even going to say it anymore. Zayana Walker, 23 minutes, 4 of 5 from the field, 1 of 1 from 3. 4 rebounds, 7 assists, 1 turnover, 9 points. Gisela Sanchez, 20 minutes, 2 of 6 from the field, 1 rebound, 2 assists, 3 turnovers, 4 points. Eliza Moppin, 8 minutes, 2 of 2 from the field, 0 of 1 from the free throw line, 4 rebounds, 1 foul, 4 points. Amani Lester, 5 minutes, which seems like she's played 5 minutes about 4 or 5 times this year. <laughs> 1 of 2 from the field, 1 rebound, 1 foul, and then 2 total points. And then Jamia Harris and Heavenly Greer, neither of them scored a point, but Jamia Harris played 10 minutes, t- had a rebound, two fouls, and two turnovers, whereas Heavenly Greer played six minutes, one rebound, and one turnover. In terms of team shooting, shot 56%, or 57% if you want to round up from the field, 
44% from three, which, you know, you take the best of both worlds from the previous two games in terms of shooting percentages. But this also was a very not good Southern squad, so I don't think it's very indicative about anything about the team. The, the main takeaway that I will always take from this is, you know, Terrence Sides is still ridiculously good at passing, and also the Ayoko 3 can never be taken away from us no matter what. So that is all of the games that have actually happened. Now, all we have to look forward to is the December 30th Saturday matchup up against Cincinnati, opening conference play at Cincinnati. And then January 3rd is a Houston game in Bramlage Coliseum, which is the home opener for the Midi Cats. And once again, I'm going to give the same speech that I give every time I talk about this team. This is legitimately probably pound for pound the most talented team that K-State has right now. It might be the most talented team that K-State has had in the past couple of years. They deserve every ounce of love that anyone can give them. And they they deserve to be a well-attended team because they're really fun. Like, they're genuinely fun to watch. And it's not just Ioka Lee being better than everyone. You have Terrence Sides doing ridiculous things with passing. You have Gabby Gregory still giving it her all and coming up with some big shots down the back end. You have Serena Sundell playing a gritty brand of basketball that you don't necessarily see as much in general nowadays. Plus, you have amazing, de- like the suffocating defense that this women's team has, led by people like Jalen Glenn and Briley Glenn. Cyana Walker is coming on as well. All of it has led to this team being one of the most entertaining teams to watch in recent K-State memory. And there is a lot of times that I think of like, wow, I'm really excited to see the women's team play. And it might be the most excited that I've been for watching any team play in our at least our time doing the show. But I'll hop off my soapbox. If you've listened to this point so far into it, you you probably get it. You probably watch the games, and you probably have been on the same same hype train that we've been on for quite some time. But yeah, this pretty much wraps up this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to follow or contact the show, you can follow us just about anywhere at Aggieville ACATS. If you want to email us, we're AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at ACEdward00. And my co-host, who will hopefully be back this coming next week, is Connor Balthazar, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store. Link in our podcast and Twitter bio. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. We're coming rain, shine, or anything in between. We're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.